0: Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Minoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, It'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Welcome back to Anchored and Reaching, everybody. I'm so glad you're joining us. This is a fun time when we get to have conversations with some really cool people. And (laughs) I got a specially cool one on the line today that we're going to talk to. But I just want to remind you that uh, we're in the uh, series that we're calling the Diversity of Unity. And if you're not sure what that is and you want to go back and listen to the introductory uh, episode that we've done, uh, this is the fourth. So go back and listen to the introduction where we talk about the river system with various tributaries. Each of those streams is different. One is not better than the other, and we all make up the river system of God that brings life to the world. And then the last a couple of ones. We spent time talking to a surgeon who happened to be my daughter, so it was kind of easy to recruit her. Uh, Remember the show notes if you want to. There's a transcript there, outlines. And if you want to email us, feel free to email at podcast at anchoredandreaching.com. So in the interest of discovering and learning about the diversity of the Church— um, I've got Dr. Tim Gillespie with us, uh, on the line and Tim, it's really good to see, have you and I get a chance to see you in all of your glory. Uh, uh, well, the, the beard's gotten out of control for sure,
1: but thanks for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, it's not out of control at all. It's really trimmed <laughs> and it's really white. <laughs> it's really, I'm, I'm, my uh, daughter has taken
1: to calling me hipster Santa. So I guess oh, that's it for right
0: now. Oh, Gotcha. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, I suppose there are some other things she should, she could call you, so it's a good thing <laughs> she's true. opted for that one. So uh, Tim is the senior pastor of Crosswalk Church in Loma Linda, California, and it's part of the Seventh-day Adventist. And uh, Tim, there are a lot of people who certainly see the Seventh-day Adventist. They certainly see Adventist hospitals and all of that all over the world. It's probably the largest healthcare system in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right. But you know, help us understand a little bit about the SDA, um, the the uniquenesses because some people just think, you know, you're weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they're not a hundred percent wrong in that, I'm sure. Um, well. <clears throat> but yeah, I can give you uh, I'll give you the short version. We are a um, Christian denomination, which we'll probably talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. um, in in the Reformation tradition, and we um, started with an interesting um, theological blip, I would say, that we call The Great Disappointment, Um, the preaching of um, William Miller. Um, He Hmm. thought he knew when Jesus was coming, and we had a lot of people who came out of the Methodist Church, quite honestly. That was probably our biggest pull um, in the Northeast. Um, Miller said that um, Jesus was coming October 22, 1844. And so the Millerite movement was, that was the Millerite movement. Um, And as, as you all know, Jesus did not come. just just to clarify. <laughs> Boy, it's okay. a good thing. And I am <laughs> so relieved. <Right. laughs> Nobody missed it. We yeah. just were you know wrong on the date. And what's fascinating is if you read the the personal journals from the people around that time, they were not only fully convinced, but they were so excited to meet Jesus. That was all they wanted to do, and they were just heartbroken when he did not show up. William Miller ended up setting, I think, another time, but nobody really took him very seriously. Out of that movement, what do you do when you have a disappointment like that? Some people fell out of faith. Some people went back to their denominations um, of origin. And then there were a group of young people who said, hey, we're not sure what happened, but we certainly believe God is calling us to something else. And so they began to study Scripture, and um, interestingly— they all seem to work in printing presses. So they began to print what they were discovering. And there's record record of theological arguments they were having through the presses they were working in, which is fascinating. And um, through that time, they then, um, probably the most interesting thing, I would say that people begin to question whether or not we are a Christian denomination, is that a woman kind of came out of that, um, called Ellen White, who believed that she was having visions and she became a pretty strong leader in that movement. And, um, and so for the next 60 years, she wrote books, um, some of which are phenomenal. Some of which are very, I would say time stamped. They very Mm -hmm. much reflect what was going on at the time. And that's when we moved into the health work as well. And Kellogg, um, and the sanitarium in um, Michigan that he was a part of, that was all part of the Seventh-day Adventist health movement, which was very much along the lines of health reform that was happening in the time, in the day. And so um, it was about, I believe it was about 1860, a woman who was a Seventh-day Baptist came through, and um, they started to study with her and kind of were convicted on the idea of the Sabbath. And so at that point, they began keeping the Sabbath. And in the 1860s, they had a, ser- a series of Sabbath conferences, they called them, to figure out how they were going to keep it from six to six, as the Jews did from sundown to sundown, which they ultimately decided upon, unless you're in Scandinavian countries in the winter, then you get six <laughs> to six, which is a pretty practical <laughs> practical <laughs> yeah. theological decision. I get it, yeah. Um, and, then, and then they uh, established a, a very strong... Um, educational system, which was a little unusual at the time, because the public system was essentially a Christian system. I think the Presbyterian Church was really involved in setting up the public school system. So we had our own um, our own educational system, which culminated in Loma Linda um, in 1905, which is our medical school. And all the time they were saying, we need to get these things. is interesting. A group of people who very much believed Jesus was on his way back, Seventh-day Adventists, we wanted to put the idea of the Second Advent right into the name, as well as, the idea of keeping the Sabbath. Um, so for people who were really believing Jesus was coming very, very soon, they still wanted to get certification from the state for their educational facilities. And they wanted to put in hospitals that were certified and were taking care of people. So they were both, I would say they were both very hopeful of the second coming out, while at the same time being very practical in their understanding of what they were supposed to do in the world. Um, I would say we were actually pretty ecumenical for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, at least in conversation with other denominations until about the nineteen late 1920s, 1930s, when um, some theology got in the mix, taken from some of the writings of Ellen White, um, I think aberrantly, but there would be people who would argue with me within our denomination. Mm-hmm. And we began to sequester ourselves away from the rest of the Christian world. It really wasn't until the late 50s, early 60s, when we began to kind of come back out. I think Christianity Today did a series of articles about Seventh-day Adventists to find out if we were Christians. And their ultimate, after I think two-year investigation, was kind of like, hey, who knew? They actually, they are. Um, Then the church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, put out a book called Questions on Doctrine that kind of answered a lot of those questions that people were asking. But at that point, people didn't really know us as a denomination, other than the health work that we were really involved in, mm-hmm. and um, we also got written up in I think it's Hokma's book, *The Four Great Cults*, which was taught widely in every seminary in the United States, pretty much. And so we had that label of a cult. We have some parallels to Mormonism, um, mostly in um, mostly in time frame and mm-hmm. kind of area of origin, the Northeast, and that sort of thing. It mm-hmm. really divest itself of any similarities at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, so I, I grew, I grew up in 1970. Um, 71 is when Mm -hmm. I was born and I, my father was a theologian in the Seventh-day Adventist church, had wonderful relationships with people throughout Christianity. And, um, and so I never grew up thinking that we were an isolated denomination. Turns Mm -hmm. out we were much more than I thought. Mm -hmm. I was, a I was blessed to grow up in a home that didn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for for my ministry over the last 20, 30 years, I've worked very hard to engage that conversation with other faith community leaders and to mm-hmm. continue to grow um, who we are and our uh, you know, position, I suppose, within well, the greater Christian conversation.
0: Yeah, well, and seeing the benefits of the heritage you have within the greater con- construct of the river system, as I call it. So let me right. take you back, because early on you made mention in the 19th century that there were early questions about whether the SDA was Christian or not. I think even before Ellen White came on the scene, is that right? And if so, where did those Um, come from and why? So just,
1: I would like to clarify that I'm not a church historian, so... um, Well, you know more about the SDA than I do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So between the two of us,
1: I'll get some themes correct, but probably not dates and names. That's fine. You know, after the the Millerite movement and the disappointment... Kind of what this group of young people, and they were relatively young, what they did is said, we're going to kind of wipe this slate clean and begin again mm. and see what we can find from Scripture that is really true. So, for instance, the first 10 years or so, they kind of skewed the idea of the Trinity. Saying well, we're not sure. We're not sure. The more they studied, and as they got older, because when you're 17 and 18, you think you know everything. Um, by the time you're 30, you realize, oh, I've got kids. I don't know anything. Yeah. And so they began to they began to rethink that. They brought back the idea of the Trinity and and put that as part of the um, put that as part of the belief system. Now, what's interesting is that we were very strong on being non creedal so we didn't write things down. Um, specifically, we didn't have a doctrinal creed, uh, like a credo you had to agree to, because we believed in something called present truth. And this came up pretty early on, which was God is still teaching us. God is, mm-hmm. And so we don't want to be pinned down to anything that would, uh, would preclude us from following God where he's leading mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. That's still actually a tenet of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, although we're 170, 180 years away from that. So yeah. it's not as prevalent, I would say, and we're yeah. much more codified. And we've always been... Good theologians, I would say. Um, We have, just to be clear, we have one unique doctrine um, that is accepted by the Seventh day Adventist Church. It's called the Sanctuary Doctrine, and it has to do with what happened in 1844,
0: which Which again was the Miller. Yeah.
1: Right. The idea was that God was coming from the heavenly sanctuary to the earthly sanctuary. Gotcha. Um, So as they continue to kind of rework. Backwards, I would say, they kind of reverse engineer what had happened, where they ended up was that Jesus went from the holy place to the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary where he is now doing, doing the work of an advocate for us. That's a whole—like, I've taken classes on that, just to be clear, so that clearly didn't do it justice. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, Well. very Very little of the theology we talk about does justice to any of the topics <laughs> we talk about in a matter of 20 or 25 minutes, so I totally right. understand that. But, but I think at the nub of this is that a lot of people think that the SDA is a cult— and what I'm hearing from you is that there's reason for that. I mean, there's there's legitimate yeah. reason when there was a kind of an um, an isolation and then a further isolation by declaring that Saturday or was the Sabbath and not Sunday. So right. now there's another differentiation, and then and then you get listed among the cults in the world, and people start drawing comparisons between the SDA and the Mormon Church so there's a reason yes. for that so people who think the SDA was a cult or is a cult I mean it's not like it's not like they're crazy it's just they need to start delving more deeply into what the SDA Church is to realize that's not accurate
1: right which which is our fault in in a lot of respects that isolationism um, and and really so in any church in any denomination you've got a continuum. Um, mm-hmm. from relatively liberal to relatively conservative. Um, Adventists, I would say, have an extra little appendage, um, which is those who who have a tendency to lift the writings of Ellen White above Scripture or to let those writings interpret Scripture. That is not the stance of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, although they hold her writings in high regard. Um, but um, there are some that would that would go to Ellen White before they would go to scripture mm. to see what scripture says. Um, and, and those have cult, in my opinion, those have cultish qualities, right? Because mm-hmm. we are solo scriptura. We say that, well, if that's the case, um, we probably shouldn't be reading through a filter. Um, at least one so, so significant as that. So that group of people have a tendency to stay around. We don't kick people out. This is the, I think, I believe we are the only, Denomination that was started in the 1800s in North America that has not split. We've never had a a significant split.
0: Well, that's a pretty commendable thing, if you ask me. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Yes, and (laughs) (laughs) in other words, some of the people that you wish would have split didn't split.
1: Um, It's a big tent which can be beautiful,
0: but that means that on the edges of the
1: tent sometimes there there's uncomfortableness. Yeah, um, sure. I would say sure. And there are people that. Oh, I want to make sure I say this thoughtfully. There, there are people that I would say um, diverge from the great tradition of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they know they do all the time because they. It's so natural for this writing to be coupled in with scripture. They have a mm-hmm. hard time delineating that. Um, we're seven, eight generations in now, so some people have grown up with that kind of thought and and don't only think it. Don't they? They not only think it's right they actually think it's the only way that you can look at scripture and everything else is an aberrant. And so, yes, there are, I understand why people say, Hey, you're cults. A, they don't know so much. And B, there are times our, our denominational tendency is to lean towards works rather Uh than grace.
0: uh uh And a
1: lot of that has to do with an early understanding of the Sabbath Uh and what the Sabbath does. And, um, There have been moments in our history where where we have rediscovered grace. 1888 was one of those moments. We had two theologians that were speaking powerfully of grace. And interestingly, Ellen White even said, yep, these these young theologians are right. They didn't finish their careers in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, in the 70s and 80s, that was a a strong push because we had, again, leaned towards uh, a works-based salvation, Mm -hmm. which... Which you know every denomination has a tendency. Art that's ours.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you said it yourself. I mean, every denomination does have that tendency. I mean, it's exacerbated in the in the habits, the food habits. Right. You know, no coffee, no meat, the faux meat. You know that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but but in reality, I, there's nothing that you have said that I hear that is not true of just about every other denomination, just change the name, fill in the blank on what it is. I mean, you know, when it comes to, for example, you use the, 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 the idea that they might appeal to their perception of the Bible and be closed off to other other uh, views. Right. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a hermeneutical issue, right? How you interpret right. Scripture. And everybody approaches Scripture through a lens. It just happens mm-hmm. that in the SDA case, they approached it through a lens that was pretty strong. And like many other people, they closed themselves off to a diversity of lenses. I mean, that's what the whole thing is about, right? The diversity right. Um, of the church in the river system. So... So I guess I haven't I haven't heard anything, you know, that that sets it so far as to call it a cult. I hear the sectarianism, certainly. Yeah. yeah. But a sect is very different than a cult. And many of the denominations today have had issues with sectarianism. That doesn't seem any different.
1: No, but I think because, because we've been so isolationist for us, I will I'll guess I'll just give my experience. Um, because we have been so isolationist, because we don't we don't think anybody else is in the playground hmm. even, sometimes in the in the sandbox. We think we're just the only ones in the sandbox. And that can become th- – there's a sadness to that that I feel because we aren't sometimes um, – we aren't sometimes being fed by other streams.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense right. to and me. And
1: the water can become brackish. Yeah, the water yeah. can become brackish if you're not careful. No inlets, no outlets creates not a great, healthy um, – You know, environment, and sometimes that happens. I think, and um, I've been really blessed in my ministry to early on start playing music, and because I was playing a certain type of music, I just wasn't super welcome
0: in my denominations. So, (laughs) because it was all (laughs) classical music or traditional, yes, that's why. Oh, yeah, because it was
1: all cello and yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) clearly not. Um, But. So I got an opportunity to, to then work in, in tons of other denominations and other, um, ministry settings. And that's just been such a huge blessing in my life. And then working with you, Kevin, at mm-hmm. Azusa Pacific University has, um, always been just an incredible outlet for me to, to, to be fed by other streams. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for it. Yeah. At our worst, we don't even read anybody else's writings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a small group, there's a small group, but you know, the good news is we've always been very serious about education, and mm-hmm. so to, to be able to play in those pools, you have to read widely. And sure, so luckily, sure. our the- I think our theologians are pretty strong yeah. in that regard.
0: Yeah, well, I think we read more theologians and more pastors from the SDA church than we realize in the broader church, and we listen to more music that comes out of the SDA church than we probably realize as well. So there's a huge input... Uh, and influence. I guess you know the f- it's not a matter that there are differences in the SDA Church, but in some respects, it's the differences that exist. That exacerbate the sectarian perception and the isolationism. I mean, when you're worshiping on Saturday instead of Sunday, you know, everybody drives by the SDA church and there's nobody there, and they think, well, they must not right. be Christians, right? Right. Uh, right? Or, or they're looking for a special menu, uh, you know, at the restaurant or stuff like that. And it's a different lingo. So, so how do SDA people perceive or view, let's say? Others in the stream. How do they view, like, um, you know, the Free Methodists, the Nazarenes, the Church of God in Christ, the Foursquare, the Presbyterians? I mean, how, you know, what does that stream of the Christian Church that's called SDA? How do they look at the other streams, and what do they think?
1: Well, um, the first thing they're going to say is that they're Sunday churches. That's how that's the
0: nomenclature we're gonna use. They're they're not really? churches, they're Sunday churches. Yeah. Sunday churches. Interesting. Right. Could, that's gonna be the first, the first thing. Yeah, because you um, guys don't even have Sunday school. You have Sabbath school.
1: We have Sabbath school. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the <laughs> real true blue. Yeah, gotcha. Okay.
1: <laughs> um so so yeah, there's just that nomenclature that's different. Um also they're not gonna delineate nearly as much as you will between the Sunday churches.
0: Ah, right? interesting.
1: They're going to say, "Oh, well, they're Sunday churches." Well, yeah, they're Nazarene, right? They're they're free methodists. They're coming from this tradition. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Not delineating necessarily between a Methodist and a Baptist, just knowing uh-huh. that they go to because because it's such a big thing for us, it's always been um that's the delineation. And that's unfortunate because that misses the the Vast variety that we have within the greater Christian community that is worshiping on Sunday. It also, some will say, well, those people are not saved. And then some will say, well, they'll just figure out the Sabbath in the end. It depends on their hermeneutic of what the Sabbath really means Mm -hmm. as well. And there are some that interpret Sabbath as um, the thing that at the end of time, this is why we lean towards works. We have a tendency, there are some that say, well, the ones that are saved, the remnant, would be those who keep their robes clean which means they keep the commandments which means they keep the fourth commandment.
0: Mm, okay. So Saturday I mean, is a, the deal.
1: That's really that's that's three sentences on eschatology which is not <laughs> a, I, now, I we is to, now we yeah, know all there is to Now we know all
0: there is to know about Please don't Adventism google anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We might be enlightened a little bit. Oh yes, I totally get. It. Well, in reality, I mean you know, when you think about it, the, the Sabbath is the seventh day. So, so y- y- you're pretty accurate on that count, right? And I, well, I mean, I, I think so. But,
1: <laughs> but it's fascinating. I, you know, our our churches, our the crosswalk kind of network of churches that we've created, um, has a huge ministry of bringing people back into church. Kind mm-hmm. of reclamation is one of mm-hmm. our biggest mm-hmm. things, and it, it's fascinating. People when they leave the Adventist Church. I would say 90%, 95% don't go to a Sunday church, quote unquote. Because our like we we don't we don't exist in a semi-permeable membrane. You can't walk uh, from one to the other. We preach this like quote unquote truth of the Sabbath. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm just saying quote unquote just because that's a phrase that we would use, the gotcha. truth of the Sabbath. So hard, really, that when people walk away because the churches don't necessarily relate to them anymore, they they're no longer relevant in their lives, Mm -hmm. um, or they're not preaching the gospel first, they're preaching the gospel third, fourth, or fifth after kind of the particularities of the denomination. When they walk away from that, they have a tendency not to go to another church. They just you know they just kind of are lost into the ether, Mm -hmm. and will still consider themselves Adventists. Um, will still weirdly consider themselves Adventists, even though they haven't been in church in 30 years.
0: But that's because of that really strong emphasis on the seventh day that has been programmed right. in. So the possibility of actually finding spiritual life in a Sunday church hasn't even crossed right. their mind, perhaps.
1: Right. Very often. Very often. And the, the tragedy of that—I mean, there's a ton of tragedies of that. One is that they might not really meet a really— you know, gospel-centered community that that ha- reignites their passion for Jesus, um, and and so it's fascinating to me that I'll see someone who hasn't been in, in an Adventist church in thirty years now come back to church, engage in the life of the church, rediscover our love for Jesus, and I'll say, you know, why didn't you why didn't you go anywhere else in those thirty years? Well, you know, the Sabbath. Yeah. I could, I just couldn't, I couldn't go on Sunday. It just, I tried and I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, so, yeah. it's so built, like we're very good at that.
0: That's amazing how we program people to think with a particular hermeneutic, you know, uh, I guess, do I even want to ask the question, what, what Adventists think about Catholics? Oh, is that, is that, is that just Sunday church or? No, they're <laughs> different. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and the, historically, some
1: of the early writings of Ellen White are very, very anti-Catholic. Really. And um, it's fascinating if you if you read her writings from the earliest point. Earliest point. I mean, she very much reflects kind of the Protestantism that was around in the area. Mm, and some mm-hmm. of the, you know, some of the, they were abolitionists, but she still says some things that are relatively racist. She says some things that are against, you know, certain immigrants and that sort of thing. Um, as she gets older and after 1888, she begins to write some books that are just beautiful soliloquies about Jesus. Hmm. They're just these wonderful writings. One's called the desire of ages. The other one is called um, steps to Christ. And they are so focused on Christ. In fact, so much so that they sent her to Australia because they weren't really sure what to do with her because, Back in the 1890s, sending someone to Australia is essentially exile, yeah. right? Yeah, for so sure. So she writes this book, Desire of Ages, and the the official printing press of the denomination won't publish it. They said, no, nah, it doesn't really sound like you. We're not going to publish it. So she said, that's fine. I'll publish it myself. She publishes it in Australia, sells 50,000 copies, and then gets a telegram saying, we'd love you to come back. And wow. we'll, we'd be happy to print that book in its next edition. And <laughs>
0: she was the founder. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Wouldn't even publish okay. her. Amazing, yeah, yeah. So, so briefly, and we're going to wrap up with this one. I know we've gone a little bit over time. Sorry for keeping you, but so if somebody walks into an SDA church, what are, what do they what can they expect? Well, it depends on which church they walk into. If
1: they walk okay. into a Crosswalk Church, they can expect a phenomenal cup of coffee, um, amazing praise music, and hopefully a coherent sermon. If I'm not too tired, you do um, really
0: well. I'll I'll testify well, to that. You. Thank you.
1: But if you walk into a a I would say traditional Seventh-day Adventist church. You'll walk into a church that will have an organ. They might do some praise music. They will Mm -hmm. say happy Sabbath um, to you. Uh, That'll be the first thing that you hear. Um, They will hopefully be warm and loving, and the sermon will be hopefully focused on Jesus with some particular language that delineates the culture of Seventh-day Adventism. The worst experience is that you will go into a church that preaches a Seventh-day Adventism that is exclusive, that yeah. is very remnant-based, that that would say, hey, like if let me tell you why we're right, and everybody else is wrong, and they're probably not going to make it to heaven.
0: Yeah, well, in all reality, Tim, you and I both know this, that everything you just said is probably true of just about any denomination you could name. Yep it depends yep. on which church you go into hopefully it'll be centered on jesus but not always sometimes it'll be centered on the periphery and on some of the some of the lines of demarcation that make us different and set us apart so i totally understand that man thanks a whole bunch for uh staying up a little bit later and and hanging out with me on this conversation. I I hope you enjoy talking about this stuff and don't feel like we're pinning you down or anything like that. No,
1: I love it Kevin. I love I love always talking to you, but I also love um I love being able to be an advocate for what I believe is a healthy adventism in the stream of our greater Christian
0: tradition. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. And you do really well and I would say Uh, Just for the record, anybody who's listening and you want it and you're in the Southern California area, go and uh, visit Crosswalk, Um, a fabulous church. My wife and I go there whenever we can uh, to enjoy your sermons. Your messages are powerful from the Word, powerful from the Word, and the community, the joy, the worship, it's just phenomenal. And um, quickly, you've got churches elsewhere across the country as well, right? Chattanooga, I know.
1: Yeah, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have one in New England in... well, it's in a little town in New England and Massachusetts, and I can never remember. West Boylston. That's oh, it. Okay. We have one in Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon. We have one in LA. We have one north of Houston in the woodlands, and uh, one in Melbourne, Australia. And we are planting next year in Jakarta, Indonesia, and San Diego, California.
0: Fabulous. That is so cool. So these are all SDA churches, but not all of the SDA churches. These are crosswalk churches. Right. crosswalk churches. That, uh, that are SDA, but they're identified with you and with crosswalk. So let me encourage you, if you're listening to this, to take it to heart. And and uh, if you do have a free Sunday... Stop into a SDA church and, and uh, can I tell them that they listen to you and you also encourage them to visit? I mean, would that, would that get them yep. credit or debit?
1: It would get them credit most places, I hope. Um, I will say this though. Don't go on Sunday, as Kevin just said, <laughs> which I know is just muscle memory. I know it's muscle memory, but if you go on Sunday, chances are you're going to either somebody else who's renting the church or an empty parking lot. So I
0: just said that, didn't I? I just said drop into an SDA up, church yeah. on Sunday. <laughs>
1: Because okay. it's, it's just there, man. It's built in. Yeah. Well, so th- yeah, if you go on Saturday, it's going to work out
0: better. <laughs> there you go. Well, the other thing I'd say is that if you want Tim to preach at your church, he's got nothing to do on Sunday. Would, That's was true.
1: I've, and I've warmed up that sermon. Like, I already know what I'm going to do. I've done it four or five times already. <laughs> on <so. laughs> Saturday.
0: Yeah, so you got it down, Pat. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for, for joining us. Let me remind you, um, uh, Diversity of Unity is the series we're in. I hope you've enjoyed this time. If you've got any feedback... Uh, drop us a note at podcast at com, and, and uh, check the show notes if you'd like. Uh, you also, you do a podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Is it called Unapologetic? Yep, I do a podcast called Unapologetics with me and Dr. Alex Bryan, who's uh,
1: the head of mission for one of our healthcare systems, Yeah, and uh, we we try to make theology practical and thoughtful.
0: Good. Well, and you're just the right guy to do that, uh, Tim. Thanks so much. So check out the podcast, uh, visit a SDA church if you can on a Saturday sometime, and uh, join us next time for the next episode of Anchored in Reaching in the series called Diversity of Unity. God bless you. Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be, Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.